China's ongoing lockdowns are driving foreign companies away, including Apple. Now the company is turning to nearby neighbors. Vacation rental company Airbnb is saying goodbye to the Chinese market. That's after a several-year revenue struggle under China's lockdown policies. Though multinational companies are planning to step back from China, some voices still say it won't be easy to detach from China's supply chains. And a million bank customers blocked from withdrawing their own money. Four local banks and $1.5 billion are involved. Customers now fear they might lose the funds for good. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Before we start, a quick thank you to today's sponsor, Shenyuan Performing Arts. Have you ever wondered what China was like before the Communist Party took over in 1949? This show depicts just that. Shenyuan showcases China's rich cultural heritage and what the regime destroyed, which is why the performance is banned in China. Captivating and uplifting, Shenyuan brings to life the legendary heroes of old, portraying the spirituality and deep wisdom present in ancient Chinese tradition. Get your tickets today at shenyuan.show slash China in focus. Enter the code CN in focus with no spaces to waive ticket fees. The world is largely in recovery now, with the pandemic calming around much of the globe. But China is still holding firm to its so-called zero COVID-19 policy. As strict lockdowns stagnate industries, a major question is rising. Will China lose its status as the world's top manufacturer? Apple has plans to increase production outside China. According to a Wall Street Journal report citing people familiar with the matter, Apple mentioned the shift applies to its contract manufacturers. Two of the alternatives are India and Vietnam, despite Apple already operating production sites in both countries. Last month, Apple forecast bigger supply problems due to COVID-19 lockdowns in China. The Wall Street Journal reports that Apple is citing China's strict policies and other reasons for its decision. But lockdown-driven shakeups are impacting more than just Chinese manufacturing. Vacation rental company Airbnb is closing its domestic business in China. The company will be taking down its listings in the country starting this summer. Airbnb made the announcement on Tuesday. Its business in China has been on the decline because of the country's COVID-19 lockdowns. Headquartered in San Francisco, Airbnb launched in China's market back in 2016. Citing insiders, CNBC says that market has accounted for approximately 1% of the company's revenue for the last few years. Many multinational companies operating in China are struggling. As officials in the country continue to pursue a zero COVID-19 policy, a strategy that has badly dented the economy and disrupted almost every major line of business. As many enterprises reshuffle their business in China, some American companies are turning to a southern neighbor much closer to home, Mexico. Let's take a look. MGA Entertainment, short for Micro Games America Entertainment, is a U.S.-based manufacturer of children's toys. The company's CEO, Isaac Larian, details the impact of China's restrictions on his business to an organization called Marketplace. It used to take 21 days for merchandise from China to come to the port of L.A. or port of Long Beach and get to our warehouses. 
Today, it takes 159 days. So the toy company turned to other options like Mexico. MGA recently opened two factories there and is about to open a third. And it's far from the only company setting up shop there. Rain Mahdi is the CEO of Zipfox, a product sourcing platform that connects U.S. businesses with Mexican manufacturers. He describes the shift of companies moving into Mexico as more of a tidal wave than a trend. On top of pandemic control, there are other reasons prompting the shift, such as intellectual property theft, counterfeiting, and labor costs in China are no longer that favorable. Noel Mara, a business professor from George Washington University, says Chinese wages began to appear higher than those in Mexico starting in 2014 or 15. The driving force for the shift not only lies inside China, a series of U.S. regulatory factors may also be behind it. At the top of the list, the Trilateral Free Trade Agreement between the U.S., Mexico and Canada, or USMCA for short. The agreement includes an increasing regional value content rule, stating that in order to enjoy preferential tariffs, 75 percent of auto industry products must be made in North America. That rule alone weakens China's participation in the region's industrial chain. Other factors include special import duties and export restrictions. The former are the heavy duties on many Chinese products, including the traditional anti-dumping and countervailing duties. The latter refers to a growing list of restricted Chinese companies out of national security concerns. That's on top of other aspects like the forced labor ban on products linked to China's suppression of Uyghurs in Xinjiang region. As supply chains continue shifting out of China beyond Mexico, another indicator of that change may lie in China's neighbor Vietnam. The country's exports soar as manufacturers shift away from China's tech capital Shenzhen. According to WIND, a China-based financial information service provider, Vietnam's exports jumped by over 30 percent in April from a year ago. That's after record high exports in March. And the level of manufacturing interest has proven significant. CNBC cited Vishrat Rana, a Singapore-based economist, as saying that Vietnam has become a very key supply chain node for consumer electronics. According to Vietnam's official data, the country's exports reached a value of nearly $35 billion in March. Whereas in China's tech capital, Shenzhen, official data shows its exports were valued at just under $18 billion. That's a 14 percent drop from last year. For the first time in three decades, Vietnam's exports beat Shenzhen in 2018, and the difference between the two has been increasing since then. Tech giants like Apple, Intel, Samsung Electronics and LG have started investing in Vietnam and are slowly moving their production lines out of China. Though the issue of supply chains moving out of China is far from a new topic, China's tightened pandemic control seems to have brought it back into the spotlight. But implementing big change may not come easily. Experts say the corporate withdrawal from China may not be enough to change the country's role in global supply chains. Next, an expert breaks down what's really going on with China's supply chains. Vishrut Rana is a Singapore-based economist at S&P Global Ratings. CNBC quoted Rana as saying it's still very difficult to find substitutes for China's supply chains. That strategy may work for some specific products, like how microchip or semiconductor makers are moving to Vietnam. But in Rana's view, China has built up its supply chain dominance over the years and should be flexible in adapting to new business models. 
China's official figures back up the idea. According to China's Ministry of Commerce, foreign direct investment into China rose by over 25 percent in quarter one this year, compared with the same time last year. Top investors on that list include Germany and the U.S. Despite those numbers, a survey from European Union's Chamber of Commerce in China indicates less investment into China and more into Southeast Asia. The poll had nearly 400 respondents. Nearly a quarter of them said they consider making investments in other markets. And an increasing number of Japanese manufacturers are looking to move their companies back to Japan, mainly from China, Southeast Asia and Russia. That's according to a Japanese steel company executive. Nearly a million Chinese customers are unable to access their bank deposits. Chinese media reports those accounts hold a value of $1.5 billion. Accusations are flying that the impacted state-run banks might be involved in money fraud. If that proves true, and without far-reaching protections in China, bank customers could lose their money. We spoke with some of the victims. Nearly a million bank customers have run into a problem in central China's Henan province. They can't access their deposits. The problem has spanned for more than a month in four rural banks. China's bank regulator addressed the issue, explaining the hold on funds. The four banks were found to be involved in illegal wealth collecting activities and are all under investigation. But customers accused the regulator of failing to safeguard people's interest in the first place. Some of the affected customers gathered Monday in front of the province's Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission. They asked authorities to return their money, since all banks in China are state-controlled. Many customers had deposited their life savings in the four banks. As part of the demonstration, some of them held banners shouting phrases like, we beg the state to help us. We request the freedom to withdraw from banks. They even asked the head of the Chinese Communist Party to intervene. Some customers were seen kneeling as they called out for help. One customer told us that he deposited the equivalent of over $70,000 in a rural bank over the past two years. But now his balance shows zero. To protect his identity, we're using just his surname. It's been over a month. Many depositors are unable to withdraw money from the rural banks. Wang told us on Monday that some customers had protested outside Henan's provincial government building for five days before the demonstration was met with a violent suppression. One protester was caught on camera after police sprayed him in the face with what was reportedly chili water. Police even stopped passersby to check their cell phones to stop them from sharing any photos or videos they may have taken on social media. Another victim, who's also a local university instructor, said the affected bank customers are innocent. 
We legally deposited our hard-earned money in banks listed in the country. Why did the authorities say we were involved in illegal wealth collecting? What have the bank regulator and the People's Bank of China been doing for so many years? Why did they look away when these banks deceived us for years? Is it reasonable? She added that once the fraud is officially labeled as illegal wealth collecting, the customer's money will be completely wiped out. In this case, that would total a loss of $1.5 billion. Now we'd like a moment for another question from our viewers about why the recent church shooting in California relates to China. This man is charged with killing one person and injuring five others during a shooting inside a Taiwanese congregation in Los Angeles. He was once a member of a U.S.-based group called the China Council for the Promotion of Peaceful National Reunification. The group is one of the many entities under Beijing's United Front Work Department. The department is a powerful agency under the Chinese Communist Party, tasked with overseeing foreign influence operations. We get a brief idea of the areas it works on from the heading tabs on its official website. They read multi-party cooperation, ethnic minorities, religious affairs, non-state-owned economies, overseas Chinese affairs, people from emerging social classes, intellectuals outside the party, Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan, Tibet-related work, and Xinjiang-related work. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo labeled the department an organ of the Communist Party, tasked with co-opting and neutralizing threats to the party's rule and spreading its influence and propaganda overseas. The CCP regards this party apparatus as a magic weapon to advance Beijing's policies. Among the department's focuses, overseas Chinese work is its main channel for spreading influence abroad. That includes co-opting ethnic Chinese individuals in communities living outside China, as well as guiding a number of affiliated organizations and directing them to conduct influence operations, most of them targeting foreign entities. Some of these entities have clear connections to the United Front Work Department, while the links between it and other groups may be more concealed. A U.S. government report from 2018 stated that the department's precise nature is to seek influence through hidden connections, those that are difficult to prove publicly. The report also points out another trick the department uses. It's been known to grow Beijing's influence in circles that deal with sensitive issues, like ethnic, political, and national identity. That way, the Communist Party can accuse any group or person that opposes Beijing's influence of being prejudiced. Coming up, labor camps in Xinjiang are back in the spotlight. Leaked police files from China include thousands of photographs of Uyghur detainees and a shoot-to-kill policy for those trying to escape. Western countries react. We take a closer look after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Next, we head to the UK. British lawmakers condemned the Chinese Communist Party's human rights violations on Tuesday, as leaked police files revealed details of abuses that minorities face in Xinjiang.
The release of the files include thousands of photographs of detainees and a shoot-to-kill policy for those trying to escape. It comes as the United Nations Commissioner for Human Rights is currently visiting China on a six-day mission. NTD's Jane Wuerl brings us more on this. As the UN's human rights chief, Michelle Bachelet, arrived in China, files allegedly leaked from a Chinese police database reveal further disturbing violations against Uyghurs held in internment camps in Xinjiang. Details of the files were published by the BBC and include thousands of images of detainees and protocols for guarding the camps, including a shoot-to-kill policy for those trying to escape, as well as speeches by senior officials showing their demands to treat Uyghurs like dangerous criminals. In response, Foreign Secretary Liz Truss said in a statement that the UK is committed to holding China to account. While ministers say they haven't called the treatment of Uyghurs a genocide because of that policy, MPs passed a motion last April declaring that the Chinese regime is committing a genocide against Uyghur Muslims and other minorities in Xinjiang. Has committed genocide. The independent UK-based Uyghur tribunal ruled last December that China has committed genocide against the Uyghurs. It also found the Chinese regime guilty of crimes against humanity, including torture, sexual violence and forced sterilisation. There are calls from MPs for the government to do more, including issuing more sanctions on Chinese officials and to reduce the UK's dependency on the Chinese economy. As for Bachelet's visit, Liz Trust, the Foreign Secretary, said that she's following it closely and that if full access isn't granted, it would only serve to highlight China's attempt to hide the truth of its actions in Xinjiang. Jane Wuerl, NTD News, London. Across the pond, the U.S. State Department is questioning the U.N.'s move. Tuesday, State Department spokesperson Ned Price expressed concerns about the trip and called out China over images of the alleged internment camps. Based on our understanding of the planned uh, restrictions that uh, she will be subjected to during the visit, uh, we have no expectation that the PRC will grant the necessary access required to conduct a complete, unmanipulated assessment of the human rights environment uh, in Xinjiang. The PRC is China's official title, the People's Republic of China. Price called the UN trip a mistake, in part due to the restrictions China has put on the visit. China has long held back the fact-finding mission led by the commissioner, Michelle Bachelet. Her trip is the first to China by a UN High Commissioner for Human Rights since 2005. Bachelet's six-day visit is focused on allegations of abuse against Muslim minorities in the northwestern region of Xinjiang. But rights groups fear it will help whitewash the crackdown labeled by the U.S. as genocide. Also on the note of the media reports about human rights violations in Xinjiang, German Economy Minister Robert Habeck said that Germany is changing the way it deals with China and will give human rights issues a higher priority. To end today's episode, we zoom in on changes in Australia. Will the country take a new approach toward China under its new prime minister? And what challenges now face Quad, the strategic security dialogue between Australia, India, Japan and the United States? Joining me now is Greg Copley, author and president of the International Strategic Studies Association. Gregory, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you back on the show. Great to be with you, even from Perth, Western Australia. So making headlines this week is Biden's trip to Asia, specifically his comments in Tokyo, where he reiterated the U.S. will militarily defend Taiwan if China invades. 
Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's the commitment we made. But also at this Quad Summit, Australia was represented by a new prime minister. So how do you see this new prime minister in Australia maybe changing the dynamic of the Quad? The interesting thing was that uh, President Biden said that uh, the United States would militarily defend Taiwan, which was a, uh, almost a, a step too far as far as the State Department was concerned, it, but, it, but it was very revealing. But the Australian Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, uh, jumped in uh, at that point and asked, when, when asked what Australia's policy was towards the PRC, said that it mirrored that of the United States, uh, implying that Australia would support Taiwan. Uh, and I think that was an intentional statement by Prime Minister Albanese, who has been accused, along with his Deputy Prime Minister, uh, Richard Miles, of being, uh, and the Foreign Minister, Penny Wong, of being too pro-Beijing. And Gregory, you mentioned how Australia is backing the U.S. and kind of following its lead in dealing with China. And do you see that happening in other areas too? For Australia, of course, the Indo-Pacific is the strategic priority. There's been some concern that the new government uh, would not fully endorse AUKUS uh, as, as its main vehicle, largely because it was created by the previous Conservative government without consultation with Labor uh, during the formation. However, it's such an important treaty, not only for Australia but for the US and UK, that uh, there's, there's little doubt that Canberra will continue with that initiative. And it may actually be pushing the United States through AUKUS to take a harder line uh, against the PRC's expansion into the South Pacific and Indian Ocean. The real concern is about India, because India, as you know, uh, has shown some differences with the United States since the US pushed uh, Russia into invading uh, Ukraine uh, earlier this year. Uh, and India is, is not happy about that, not happy with the United States on that, cannot afford to entirely condemn Russia or break with Russia because of their, shall we say, shared strategic interests in Central Asia and South Asia and, and in, uh, in the overall Middle East area. And Gregory, for Australia, how do you see this administration's approach in dealing with China being different from the previous one under Scott Morrison? The problem is that the, the Labor government has promised so much in the way of uh, domestic social spending that it may have uh, no capacity left to expand the, uh, the defence budget uh, in the way that the, the former Liberal government was doing. Uh, indeed, Labor promised that it would not uh, dramatically increase Australia's debt level and would attempt to balance the budget and, in fact, attacked the previous government because of its COVID spending uh, for having uh, an imbalanced budget and, and building up debt. But Labor itself now has made so many promises to the electorate uh, about increased basic wages, about uh, social spending for, for um, health care and for child, uh, child mining services and the like, that they're not going to have the money to spend on defence that, that we would like. Uh, so 
it's going to be a very interesting challenge. Either Labor will have to raise taxes in order to fund defence spending, and that will be unpopular and would probably get them voted out in three years' time, uh, or they will have to make cuts uh, in, in the social uh, arena. Gregory, how do you see the different members of the Quad strategy in dealing with China? How are they different? Well, we are going into a totally new era, and, and uh, the, the Quad uh, is one of those important strategic instruments in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, and we are seeing divisions within the Quad, not between Japan, the United States, and Australia so much as uh, in the fact that India has clearly demonstrated that it, that it has different strategic priorities from, from the other three partners. Uh, frankly, uh, the Quad meeting, that, as we've seen so far, has shown that Washington has come back and has at least started to talk about the Indo-Pacific again and about the, the containment of the People's Republic of China. Uh, we're not sure how serious that is because one of the things which China wanted, the People's Republic of China wanted, and which Prime Minister, uh, sorry, President Biden uh, acceded to was moving the focus of, of global attention away from the Indo-Pacific and into the Euro-Atlantic space with uh, the great US support for the conflict uh, between uh, Ukraine and, and Russia. And uh, so this is the first time we've seen Washington come back and show some interest uh, in, in the Indo-Pacific region, and that's very positive. But the question is, is President Biden serious about that? Gregory, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Tiffany. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Every once in a while, something comes along so masterful, it leaves you in awe. So inspiring, it changes your life. So beautiful, you wish it would never end. When that happens, it's something not to be missed. Shen Yun, an all-new production every year. performance was enchanting. I feel better about the world. I feel uplifted. It touches you. It really does. The expertise of the dancers was really, really strong. To know that it was live music was really fantastic. We didn't want to miss this. Make sure you see it. Have to come. Life-changing.